0: We're going to read from 2 Corinthians 12 this morning, beginning at verse 9, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And um, while you're finding that a couple of things. First of all, the tree construction begins this afternoon, and we sure could use your help. If you're, if you're not an engineer, there will be one or two here to uh, help out and if you can hold stuff and turn stuff, then you can you can help. And then the decoration begins this week. Of course, is this week, and just about any time of the day or evening, you can come. There'll be somebody here to help you. And then in the morning at seven thirty, we're going to prayer walk this room. We meet every morning, every Monday morning at seven thirty, and you're all invited. We meet in the chapel. And uh, tomorrow though we're going to meet in here We're going to pray over everything from the control room to every pew uh, To the orchestra area to the choir loft And we'd love 30 minutes 730 to 8 love to have you here I also want to uh, say a special word of appreciation to Jack Ragland Some of you know uh, Jack he is one of the lead uh, counselors at the He helped me with he helped Carrie with this morning's uh, sermon You know people say she writes my sermons She Jack helped, uh, I I wrote it, I I ran it by him, and um, so I wanted to thank him for his help. Let me also address the elephant in the room. I'm well aware that as I stand, the college football playoff show is on TV, and there may be some people around you with their phones inconspicuously at their sides. (laughs) Please, uh, please don't judge them. Uh, you might pray for them if they're Alabama fans. <laughs> my hunch is they're going to be disappointed in the in the results, but you can so you can pray for them not not judge them and I would appreciate if there's not a either a hoop or a moan when the when the announcement is is made second Corinthians twelve and we read verses nine and ten and God said to me, paul writes, my grace, my Unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Don't miss that. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, Then I am strong. I grew up in a big old house with tall oak trees in the front yard and a dachshund called Happy. And Happy is what we might have been called by others who peered through the window of that big old house and saw our family of four, a daughter, a son, and two parents with college degrees and jobs. But inside the house, we're not so happy. My parents aim to make our patchwork family of four fit picture perfectly into the quaint community. We take an annual Christmas card photo posed in bulky sweaters we rarely ever wear otherwise with me holding a ball and my older sister Eunice holding a clarinet she doesn't much play. Those are the words of David McGee, The author of one of the most powerful books I've read of recent, titled Dear William, It's a Memoir of Family Pain. McGee goes on to write about a mother who sets the table every evening in front of their picture window. Although the family rarely gathers for dinner, and when they do, it's not a happy dinner. But she sets the family dinner in front of the picture window so that people who walk by will peer in and see a... A well-set place, and and assume that the family Christmas card is not a complete lie. McGee goes on to write about a scene when his high school football coach called him aside. He's he was of course a middle schooler to ask him about his grades. Is something wrong? His grades were abysmal. Is something wrong? The coach asked. Is something wrong at home? I don't know. I tell him, tears welling up in my eyes. Do you need any help? I can help you, coach says. I gather myself, wiping tears away. There's nowhere to begin to say what is wrong or how coach might help. No, I say, trying to look him in the eye. I'm fine. Everything's fine at home. It's hard for respectable people to talk about things when they are Not fine at home, isn't it? And I wonder how many people Who say everything's fine at home Are not telling the truth I met an impressive young man A few months ago He's well educated He's articulate He's professional He's compassionate He also uh, is a recovering alcoholic And his past includes some jail time He told me that during the days when he was drinking and in and out of jail, I didn't fit in the family Christmas letter. Think about that. I didn't fit in the family Christmas letter. And when he said that to me, I knew that one day there would be a message about that when things don't fit in the family Christmas letter. Well, today is the day. What do you do when something doesn't fit in the family Christmas letter? You know what I'm talking about when I say the family Christmas letter, right? You know that that annual uh, mailing that tells everybody how things are going? By the way, I'm not an anti family Christmas letter guy. It's a fun way to keep in touch with people, especially people we rarely see. The only thing is in most family Christmas letters, everything is perfect. Dad, his job is going great, and um, he's, uh, he lost 50 pounds this year. Mom has been promoted to vice president of her company and just, just finished her first marathon. The kids are excelling academically, artistically, athletically. The grandparents just moved to the, the villages in Florida. They, they bike 10 miles every morning and they, they sit by the pool and drink uh, lemonade. At least that's what they put in the family Christmas letter every afternoon. Even the puppy graduated at the top of his puppy training class. Oh, occasionally... People will miss, mention an illness or a death. Dad had a light heart attack this year. Please pray for his complete recovery. We lost Grandma this year. We'll miss her around the Christmas table. But some tough and messy things never make their way to the family Christmas letter here's what I don't typically see in Christmas letters. Dad went on antidepressants this year, nothing major, just struggling a bit. Mom says her drinking is not a problem, but the family is concerned. Our marriage is shaky, but we hide it well. The guidance counselor said our daughter's suspension from school is going to hurt her college chances. Our son lost custody of our grandchildren. Our daughter and son-in-law had their baby. We hope it saves their marriage. I'm not suggesting the Christmas letter should include all those things. To tell stories that are not ours to tell is inappropriate. We don't want to invade someone's privacy. We don't want to assault someone's dignity. I'm not suggesting all those things... Should appear in the family Christmas letter So what do we do when a a situation There's a situation we might find embarrassing When there's something that we're afraid Folks might think badly of us If they know Something we might find shameful And I'm not just talking about The family Christmas letter now I'm talking about day to day living When there's something in our Homes Behind closed doors There's something in our lives That does not Does not reach Or does not fit The, the image Of the ideal Family What do we do when, when there's something We'd rather not tell We have some options We can deny it We can ignore it we can lie about it. We can try to get rid of it. Or we can own it. Own it in a healthy way. What would that mean to own that in a healthy way? Three things. One, we don't tell everything to everybody. Two, we don't lie or pretend with anybody. And three, we come clean with somebody. We don't tell everything to everybody. We don't lie and pretend with anybody. We come clean with somebody. This is audience participation day. Would you repeat after me, please? We don't tell everything to everybody. We don't lie and pretend with anybody. But we come clean with somebody. Let's talk about that. We don't tell everything to everybody. There are stories that are not ours to tell, and we don't want to invade people's privacy and uh, and assault their dignity. So there's some things we don't tell. By the way, everybody can't be trusted with sensitive information. There's a reason the Bible says don't gossip. It's because some of us struggle with that. So we don't tell everything with everybody, and we certainly don't post everything on Facebook. Amen? Amen? Thank you. We don't tell everything to everybody. But we don't lie and pretend with anybody. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.25 as translated in the message. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body we're all connected to each other after all. So we can acknowledge however generally and non-specifically we need to when things are not perfect. Somebody asks you, how are things going? You can say something like, well, you know, life is complicated. Or you can say, truth be told, this is a rough stretch of the road for our family. Or you can say, well, candidly, we, we could use your prayers And then if you feel comfortable, if you trust that person, you can share whatever details are appropriate to share without shame. We don't tell everything to everybody, but we don't lie and pretend in the Christian family called the church. We don't lie and pretend to anybody, and we come clean with somebody to do that. to. To be honest, to be vulnerable, to be open, to to come clean is liberating. And it is healing. And it encourages others to be honest and vulnerable. And it opens doors to relationships that we might never have imagined we'd have. We must find people we can trust to love us not judges and to not gossip it might be a a good friend it might be a minister it might be a therapist might be your Sunday school or Bible study class it might be a circle within that class it might be your teacher by the way, this is an, a t- an important time or opportune time for me to say, I hope you're part of a Sunday morning Bible study class. That's where a large church becomes small. That's where when you go home from the hospital, they'll bring you a casserole. You need to be part of a, a, a Sunday morning Bible study class. Somebody. We've got to find somebody that we trust to love us and not judge us and not gossip. We don't tell everything to everybody, but we don't lie and pretend to anybody. We come clean to somebody. God created us to long for community, for connection. We were made to be connected to each other. Now everybody's not an extrovert, I know, but even introverts were made to connect. We, ma- we long to belong, and that is a, that's how we are wired but the interesting thing is we're so afraid we won't belong that we hide things. We're not honest with people because we think if they knew our secrets, if they knew our stuff, if they knew our skeletons, they wouldn't like us. We long to belong so much that we, we hide things. We're not open. We, we, we're afraid we'll be shunned, that people won't accept us or embrace us, and so this unusually this longing for belonging makes us less than honest and yet on the other hand real connection demands honesty it demands vulnerability it demands that we that we share with each other and so it's this conundrum this catch 22 this real dilemma right on the one hand we we long to belong so much we hide things on the other hand Connection based on pretense is shallow. Let me say that again, connection based on pretense is shallow, and so it's this real dilemma. So what, what is the answer to this hesitation to be honest? And God said to me, Paul wrote, "My grace is sufficient for you." The answer is almost always grace extending grace to each other accepting grace from God for ourselves and even granting grace to our imperfect families the Bible speaks often about being kind to each other about being compassionate to each other. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. A culture of grace and acceptance will help us all be more forthcoming, more open, more, more vulnerable, more honest. And let me say, this is a grace-filled place. I have seen grace extended. I have seen people love without judgment and without gossip. This is a grace-filled place, but we have to always work on that and protect that and nurture that so that in every Sunday school class in this place, that in every pew in this room, that in every relationship that's part of this family, we are gracious people. So that so that our connection is strong, not shallow, so that our, our fellowship is profound, not pretend. This is a gracious place, but we can never lose that, and we can always work on that. "When I am weak," Paul continued, "Then I am strong. What a beautiful what a beautiful paradox. That when I am weak, then I'm strong. Truth is that the light of God's grace shines through the brokenness of our lives. Through the imperfections, through the cracks, if you will, into the lives of other people who are broken and other people who need grace. Grace is enough, God said to Paul, Paul realized when I'm at my weakest point, then I am strong. I'm part of a couple of um, pastor's groups. We call them peer learning communities. One of them meets in August. It's a, about a dozen of us. You would know some of them. Now, the other group meets in January. There's, it's a bigger group, about 30 of us now. And I've been part of uh, both groups for going on twenty years now, and and I'm thinking now about the one in January, the larger group. It's kind of a a technical kind of thing. We talk about how you serve and how you lead church. We, you know, we talk about everything from security to uh, protection of kids and all those all those kinds of things. Sometimes talk about deacons, but not not very often. We, you know, we. It's mainly about, you know, it's, it's educational. But sometimes we've, we've helped, over the years, we've helped people through some uh, tough spots. I've been in a lot. You take 20 years of, we meet probably seven, or five, or six, seven sessions every time we're together. I, I don't remember most of them. I remember only a handful. I remember one, in which a pastor said that... Um, One of my friends said that one Sunday morning, he was not in the pulpit, he was in the hospital. Hospitalized for depression. And so his wife stood in the pulpit in his place that year, and that Sunday, and she read a letter from him in which he said, I'm sorry I can't be there, I'm in the hospital, and here's why I'm there. I'm struggling with depression. He said he figured it would be the equivalent to his letter of resignation. He figured that after that, Nobody would would want him to be the pastor anymore. But on the contrary, people came out of the woodwork to say, now I can talk about my depression. To say, thank you for being honest. Thank you for being vulnerable. And then we were in San Antonio uh, one year. It was the largest group I think we ever had. There were 35 of us around the table. And I'll never forget, I don't think, the way uh, one of the, my fellow pastors began, he said, It wasn't supposed to be this way. And then he, he told one of those stories about family that would break your heart. It wasn't supposed to be this way, he said. He told of a phone call that had shattered his dreams of an ideal family. He told his story and when his story was over and we all had caught our breaths, another pastor said, let me tell you my story. And he told his story of pain and when we'd all caught our breaths, another pastor said, let me tell you my story. There was a lot of unspoken brokenness in the room. Until one man was courageous enough to say, It's not supposed to be this way. It was a moment of, of great weakness for him. But he has never been stronger than that moment. There's a lot of trust in the room. There's a lot of grace in the room. People extending grace. People receiving grace. We trusted each other to love and not judge and not gossip. People came clean. No pretense from those who shared their stories. No judgment from those who heard them. Just grace. Truth is, there's a lot of hurt among us, a lot of disappointment. A lot of unflattering stories. A lot of pain. A lot of secrets. Let's be a place of grace. Let's be courageous enough to be vulnerable with others. And let's be gracious enough that others will be vulnerable with us. We don't tell everything to everybody. But we don't lie and pretend in a good Christian family to anybody. And we come clean to somebody, because when we are weak, we are strong, and grace really is, and always is, enough.